Hi, everyone, and welcome to Hear, Hear, my audiobook podcast. I'm Dan Masterton, and I'm reading to you from my second fiction story, Abundance, Not Scarcity. If you'd like to get a paperback copy of the book, or if you'd like a free copy of this story as an ebook optimized for iPhone or iPad, visit my link tree at linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. There's links there to all my writing, including the link to the paperback order form, as well as a link to the Google Drive folder with free ebook versions of both of my fiction stories. My previous story, What There Is To Be Done, is also available in this podcast feed. Just hop back to season one. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback about these stories. Find me on Twitter at thisladdan or email me at dmastert at alumni.nd.edu. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy this chapter and stick around at the end for a bonus reflection. May we all identify and come to understand God's ongoing invitations for us. Cheers. Once a year or so, Noah and his old housemates from his volunteer year tried to get together for a long weekend. They tried to rotate between each of their current cities so only three would have to travel at most. This year, Noah was playing host, but since hosting more than one of them in his modest one-bedroom apartment would have been tight, they went in together on a nice little three-bed ranch house to rent. Michelle had followed up her volunteer time in the Southern Texas School with a full-time master's program in education. Her undergraduate degree was in history. Then she hoped the master's would land her a job where she could teach middle school social studies and have a hand in a lot of different areas of student life. Little did she know that many Catholic schools were all too happy to get their hands on a person like that. She was now in her third year teaching since graduating. Francis had supported the legal advocacy arm of Catholic charities in the border region. Over that year, he had worked with a lot of attorneys who accompanied people in transit. After the year was up, he was offered a paralegal role in one of their offices. He stayed in the borderlands for three years and studied and sat for his LSAT while living in South Texas. His score wasn't quite as high as he wanted, but it left him with a strong application to some of the top law schools. Francis made his choice and was most of the way through 2L, with a good placement in immigration law waiting for his intern summer. His twin sister Claire had cherished her time in the shelter with families. The pace was breakneck, but the exposure to so many different situations prepared Claire for anything. Previously, Claire had been wondering about getting into nursing but her work with young people who were struggling with various deficits ignited something new. Claire looked it up and found she had all the prerequisites to look into therapy school. She applied and got into an occupational therapy program, and she was into her clinical rotations when she took the vacation weekend to meet up with the group in Ohio. Claire was on the doorstep of becoming a pediatric occupational therapist. Noah had helped shuttle them from the airport to their lodging, getting Michelle first off a red-eye from the West Coast on Friday morning. He then returned to the airport in the afternoon, after cutting work a smidge early, to get Francis and Claire. The twins had aptly landed at almost the same time. He let them get settled and hang for a bit while he went home to detox from a week of work, 
and then popped back over later that night. They enjoyed a few casual drinks and played some board games with mindless TV shows and music in the background. They all needed the low-key fun with people they valued and trusted. Noah called it a night just shy of midnight, and they agreed to meet up for an early dinner in his neighborhood the following night. Around 5 p.m. that Saturday, Noah jumped in the shower to convert himself from lazy to outgoing. After cleaning up, he put on a decent outfit and headed out the door on foot. He'd gotten the group to agree to meet him at his favorite brew pub just a couple blocks from his place, called Viderworks. The unusual name was from a word for traveler, or one on the way, and the guys who ran the place loved to do small batch and experimental stuff that only lasted a short while and might never come back. With a light fleecy zip up over his button-down collared shirt, Noah strolled the five minutes down what had become familiar roads. He found his friends already there and waiting for him. Once Noah arrived, they grabbed a sizable round table and started pouring over the menus. Beer menu first, of course. Noah landed on a sour, a kind of beer known to make the drinker pucker and pop a bit, but this one had been shandied over a bit to bring in a sweeter finish. The group placed their drink and food orders and began talking as their first round arrived. They thanked the waiter for their drinks and Francis raised his glass expectantly, raising an eyebrow to everyone to join. To those we walked with, to those who walked with us, to God who always dwells among us. Cheers, friends, Francis declared. The four arms clinked four glasses all together in one sturdy pop of sound. Noah brought his glass to his lips as Michelle tapped hers to the tabletop. His first, first sip caught him a bit off guard with that bite of the sour flavor, but the sweetness of the finish cut the harshness and settled it down. The conversation started flying. Francis and Claire went back and forth narrating their parents' choice to sell their childhood home and downsize, rotating between objective journalistic details and quite subjective analysis. Michelle was loving having her first years of school under her belt and already felt like more of a veteran in year three. She had sort of sat out the dating scene for a year and was now dipping her toe back in the pond. Noah kept a bit quiet about himself, giving just brief, same old, same old comments about his job and barely talking about Joan, who knew his old friends were in town and decided that this year she would give them space and maybe try to introduce herself with the trip next year. The food arrived as the first pints were half depleted. Everyone began to dig in, which slowed the conversation. The easier topic to multitask while chowing down was reminiscing about volunteer days. Do you remember the diner we stopped at on our way up the coast to see Paul? Claire asked. I did not know what we were walking into when we parked in that lot, but my God, that was the greasiest, tastiest burger I've ever had. The others thought back to their orders that night, too. Then there was that retreat my school wanted us to do for them. We cleared off that Saturday so we could all help together, Michelle recalled. Then when we got there, it was just one old woman, and she handed us that ratty old binder. And then she sat down silently in the back of the room, and the kids were already arriving. Noah remembered that. The schedule just had times for start, lunch, and end. And the binder had very unhelpful one-line directions like talk, discussion, and activity. They found a way to improv through it. Oh man, and then I remember driving back from Paul's retreat. We got a flat tire in the crazy old van. And like, I know how to change a tire and do it pretty quickly. I had no idea how to do it for that quote unquote car, Francis joked. Then they filled in the memory. Noah remembered a kind Latino man pulling over to talk to them and knowing just what to do. He doesn't remember ever getting his name, but remembered seeing Rose decals on the car's tailgate and a hazy image of La Virgen in the rear windshield. The bits and pieces of happy and lasting memories roused nostalgia in Noah's heart. Rather than orbiting around one memory he sought to share, he felt affection for the whole of his experience. 
guys, I feel like maybe I could have tried to specialize more or use the first few weeks or months to angle towards some narrower assignment. But something about just going where I was asked and doing what was needed, it was fantastic. I feel like when my parents would ask me to do something when I was growing up or when a teacher would ask me to do something in school, it was easy to doubt their intentions or come up with an excuse, Noah explained. But in the Valley, I just never had that instinctive doubt. I'd hear someone ask me to do a pickup or go troubleshoot an office internet setup or learn to be a sacristan for a parish's masses, and I just went and did it. Francis swallowed the last bite of his meal and then drained the last sip of his beer as Noah finished. Well, damn, Noah, Francis said, and here I wondered if you were sandbagging us. But maybe this guy just wants to do some year in review. Michelle and Claire avoided eye contact with Francis. Claire hid behind another sip of beer while Michelle stared downward and picked at the last few bites of food she couldn't finish. Noah, having finished his beer and meal, had no deflector screen. He exhaled, sighed, looked to the side. I don't know, Francis, I mean, Noah started. Michelle and Claire sort of tuned back in to see if Noah could dissuade Francis. Uh, you guys, you know how this always goes. We have some mindless fun, we grab some dinner and drinks, we laugh and smile and kick back, and then we drag our feet checking in on each other, but every time when we get to it, we're always glad we did, Francis explained. He's right, Claire admitted in a huff, giving her brother reluctant credit without making eye contact. She had finished her beer and was eyeing the bottom of the glass with one eye shut and one eye very open for inspection. Fine, Michelle agreed. She threw back a healthy gulp to finish out her first round, but not until we get the next round ordered. Michelle looked around a bit to see if the waitress was nearby. Noah grabbed the tap list and hid behind it a bit. Why am I so self-conscious of these moments? Why can't I just find ways to relax and be comfortable and just talk, especially with my best friends? Just a minute ago, off the cuff, I didn't think twice. Why change now? He wondered. Noah had started to find common threads that spanned his moments of vivid prayer, but he couldn't figure out what prevented him from sharing more. You know what wouldn't help? Clamming up about beer. I need to join this round. Is this a time for a cloudy farmhouse ale? Maybe just take it easy with a Kolsch? Oh, there's that high-octane Belgian triple. And I did walk here. Let's go get something substantial this round. The waitress came by. As she cleared away their plates, she invited their beer orders. She was an impressive multitasker. She was stacking plates, piling silverware, and memorizing orders from the four of them as she juggled. She walked away with the stack nicely intact. Noah tossed his tap list into the middle of the table. Then he utilized the classic tactic of initiating the conversation towards someone else to see if he could delay his own turn coming up. Well, Francis, you want to talk the talk and bring it up? We won't fight you. Go ahead, Noah said, puffing himself up with some bravado to sustain this deflective gambit. The volunteer that the four of them had spent together had been chock full of vulnerable introspection. They'd shared everything from late night life chats to angry venting rants when they got home from work. Each of them sought to maintain a thoughtful caliber of conversation in their adult lives and often struggled to find conversations on this level out in the wild. So perhaps it was unsurprising that when they first convened for a weekend reunion that first year into adult life, one of those kinds of conversations happened and recurred each year as they regathered. Now sent forth from post-grad service as they came back together, they had four different lives to share with each other, so the conversation took a bit more reorienting. What perennially unfolded was almost like a communal examine, a conversational way in which each of them offered a monologue update of sorts, honing in on a high point and low point from the preceding months with the group wanting to ask more questions and dig deeper with each friend. The first year, one just sort of happened. The second one, the conversation needed to be coaxed, but before long, the same vibes returned. 
and so it became an annual, if slightly pained, thing. The active, compassionate listening, the thoughtful, insightful questions, the earnest, faithful accompaniment was extraordinary between the four of them. So even if they dragged their feet to get started, deeper down, they all wanted to return to that place. All right, Noah, I'll fall for your trick, Francis started. Noah didn't even care that he was busted because it worked. He settled into listening mode. Maybe that would be the way to bridge back into his good space. So being in school full time, I'm not working in an immigration law office anymore, but I stay in touch with some of the attorneys and families we've worked with. It's been good for my morale because the studying and coursework can really drain you without giving you much to hang your hat on, at least not until you get your degree and sit for the bar and get to practicing, Francis explained. So I hear some great stuff. Young people who finally have their asylum hearings and are granted asylum in the U.S., middle-aged folks who finally reach the end of the citizenship process and send photos from their oath swearing. We even hear of weddings and births and baptisms. It's pretty amazing. Then you hear a different story. And for every bit of uplift you get from the joys of these people, the tragedies can just absolutely gut you, Francis admitted. He took a beat to stare blankly at his fresh beer and take a sip. Francis told the story of a man who had been in the U.S. for years without documentation. He'd been doing migrant work in agriculture, picking crops and remitting most of his money to his extended family who had taken his son. The mother was out of the picture for some reason. Well, this man started saving some of his income because his son was 19 now and he wanted to see if he could get him to the U.S. The family arranged some coyotes to escort him. After several months, the plans and the money were in place and the son started northward. The dad had heard stories of van loads of smuggled immigrants being marooned in the desert and left for border patrol or taken halfway but then given false maps that misportrayed the distance to their desired destinations as being walkable. This journey didn't even get that far. The man's son was loaded into an overfilled old SUV, and the driver crashed the vehicle off I-8 in Southern California. His son was among over a dozen people dead in a car meant to hold eight people. Claire reached over to place her hand on her brother's arm. Noah apologized for the loss of the young man and offered prayers for him and his family. They talked through the details for a few minutes. Then Michelle asked, how are you feeling about things now? Francis sighed. There's no real way to zero out tragedy, but it feels like there's a way to have a more just, more humane system, a different diplomatic and political approach to Central America, one that welcomes those who seek to come but would make people attempt trips like that much less often, or at least make it less likely that they'd consider them, and one that could receive and accompany people more humanely and justly when they try to come here. It's stories like this that help keep me going through late night studying. I want to get in the legal system and stand with these people. Francis took a healthy swig of his beer. And what about you, dear sister, Francis said, popcorning over to Claire. Well, it's been sort of wild to get from the shelter in the valley all the way to the doorstep of practicing therapy. There was a heck of a lot between there and here. I thought for sure I'd do nursing. Then I was thinking maybe I should just nanny for a while or find a gig in a daycare. Then I wondered if I should just stay in charity work and find my way back into family shelters. Eventually, it clicked that the volunteer time was such a gift because it was whole family help. I knew the parents. I talked to the parents. I could tell what they wanted or needed or had frustrations about. And then when I would spend time with the kids, it was like having a head start, like having an in with them. I loved the way I could be that extension and connect the kids and parents. So I looked into family services and between general, physical, speech, and occupational, it was OT that felt perfect. There was this one kiddo in my last rotation that was just such an affirmation in the package of a tiny human, Claire laughed. She explained that she was shadowing a therapist who worked mainly with elementary-aged kids. 
This little girl who the therapist was seeing was having major issues with self-regulation and getting into all kinds of outbursts and tantrums. Claire had observed the intake and evaluation, as well as the first few sessions of therapy. Then her preceptor invited Claire to take the lead. Claire got to put the little girl on a special swing in the gym to break the ice. Claire got to balance her on a scooter to try energy outlets. Claire got to brush her arms and legs with a special brush that helped with sensory response and calm and soothe her. Claire got to help her trying getting smushed in the cozy giant pillow. And then best of all, Claire worked with her on zones of regulation, talking through red, yellow, and green to describe levels of feelings and getting her to understand blue zone feelings too, like sadness or anxiety. The last week of her rotation, Claire was bummed to leave this little one, but had relished watching her respond and progress. That little girl looked at me and unprompted told me, I'm in the green zone. Thank you for getting me to the green zone. Then she stepped back and lowered her chin while she kept staring at me and said, and it's okay if you're in the blue zone. Claire just started laugh crying as she thought about breaking down into tears at her joy for this girl. Francis was smiling and shaking his head at the story while Noah clapped and threw his head back in delight. Michelle was more of a sobbing pile of mess. They took some time to laugh and cry and ask about what lands in the yellow zone. Then Claire continued. I'm excited to get to practice. I have to remind myself that there will be plenty of difficult cases. Kids who struggle to listen at all or who don't engage in the exercises. Parents who dump their kids in therapy and don't reinforce it. And I need to figure out where the jobs are and what kind of practice I hope to work at, Claire said. I feel like it's most likely that I'd end up in some suburban office that's part of a big urban healthcare system. If that's the case, and I'm working with parents who aren't actively partnering with me, I'm going to have to be firm, figure out how to mobilize them different than I would with the families we walked with. I want to do this work with whole families. Claire let that last bit breathe while Michelle downed another sip of her drink. Noah was silently willing Michelle to volunteer to go next, to buy himself as much procrastination time as possible. As Michelle gave one last post-cry heave, she settled her breathing and wiped away the happy tears. Claire laughed as she grabbed a napkin to blow her nose. The waitress had started to approach and stopped from a few feet away. You guys okay? she asked, wondering if they needed more food or drink. Then her face changed to a fairly quizzical expression. Also, are you guys okay? Francis laughed, appreciating her concern and also knowing they were okay and indeed totally themselves. We're all good in both regards. Thank you, he laughed. She walked away, not completely convinced. The four of them all chuckled for a moment. Okay, guys, so Catholic school. Woo, Michelle began. Noah's eyebrows popped up and he scooted forward attentively, exciting for listening rather than talking, at least for a little bit longer. He was denying the acknowledgement that this was his last stay of execution. So it's been great to get involved, which is what I wanted. I help moderate student council campaigns and elections and student activities, so I get to help them plan the dances and pep rallies and fundraisers. I'm thinking about getting into coaching sports. I'm filling out the system for leadership roles, like maybe being our grade level team lead down the road. For now, I'm a seventh grade homeroom teacher and I get the social studies and religion departmental classes. Teaching these days, I feel like specialized learning plans were not super common when we were kids, but now almost half of my kids have them. They get extra time or read aloud aid for tests requirements for where they sit or what classes they have at what time, etc. I don't want to be too old-fashioned, but it can seem like many of these students don't need or maybe only need some of the extras. Then I think of their parents and the way they want everything for their children, and I mostly understand it. I mean, if a greater opportunity for help or support is available, most parents will take it, and you can't really blame them, Michelle explained. 
In religion class, I was giving the students a project about liturgical seasons. I put them in groups of four and assigned each group a season. And then it all hit the fan, Michelle said. She talked about spreading out good, clear instructions. She set a schedule for in-class work periods and a due date to work toward. The students had a rubric for how the project would be graded. And then, in classic Catholic school form, an assembly got added. Class schedules were shifted, she lost in-class work time, and she had to slide the whole project to wrap around a grading period, such that they started in one quarter, but will finish and be graded in another. The projects were solid, a lot of A- and B-plus grades, some Bs and a few Cs, and on they went. Then the emails came from a disaffected parent, and an apologetic thoughtful reply from Michelle, and an insistent request for a meeting with the principal. A student who earned a B- felt his group didn't do enough work and that he deserved a better grade, and that he didn't have proper notice originally or of the changes for his executive functioning deficit. Or at least that's what his talkative father said in the email and meeting. Michelle couldn't help but feel like the kid was mostly fine, and the work he did was sufficient. The dad disagreed, was mad, and even heated, and raised his voice at her in the meeting. Uh, that's so off-putting, Francis responded. And frankly kind of weird, Claire added. I have a friend with ADD, or I guess it'd be ADHD now, Noah said. Anyway, he's seen some of this stuff crop up, and he always has mixed feelings about it. He's glad there's more considerations for learning differences, but he felt like he just needed a few strategies. A stress ball, the chance to take a walk for a drink or a bathroom break, a dedicated block of time for work when he got home with his parents. He's glad he learned a few self-interventions and can take care of himself, but he knows, too, every kid is different. He just wonders if things have gone too far. Michelle nodded with him, glad to hear Noah speaking up. She added, you know, it was a little scary. This guy was basically shouting at me. His wife sat there and let him do it. His son looked a bit embarrassed, but of course this kid isn't about to do or say anything as a 12-year-old. The thing I was so grateful for was that my principal stood up for me. She didn't offer excuses or rationalizations for how I handled or mishandled the odd situation. She just looked at him, addressed him by name, and told him, don't talk to my teacher like that. You need to calm down. He was clearly thrown off, but her intervention helped reset the mood. I was still shaking with nerves, but it made me less afraid to listen and helped me get through it and consider how to improve for next time. She isn't a perfect boss, but that moment reinforced my respect for her. Noah was feeling profound respect for Michelle, for Claire, for Francis. His admiration left him in awe of such witness being so close to him in his life. But he abruptly shifted to feelings of unease, for now it'd finally be his turn to share and he found nothing from his work in claims adjusting in a humdrum, semi-serious, romantic relationship to be particularly compelling. He couldn't resist thinking comparatively rather than considering his life on his own merits, and it left him with nowhere to start. Before any of his friends could prompt him, he decided he better just get started on his own terms. Noah reached for that hearty triple and took a tasty sip. He laughed, knowing as a lover of Belgian beers that a triple didn't mean three times as much of anything. More literally, it might be called stronger or more alcoholic by volume, but that was it. He loved the taste, the refreshing blast of that beery taste and flavor, but with a bite of bitterness and strength flowing through it. Here goes nothing. I'm not going to lie, guys, Noah started. I feel like I'm nowhere, especially when compared to you guys, but also just generally. My job is fine, but I don't love it. Living here and having my apartment is fine, but I don't love it. And Noah broke off to see if anyone nearby was listening because he was genuinely concerned that might be the case. My girlfriend Joan is fine, and I care for her, and I'm grateful for being with her, but I can't say for sure that I love her. I mean, I love her, but I don't think, at least not yet, that I love her. Noah exhaled. 
He knew he needed to start there, but now he didn't know what to say next. He resettled himself with a fresh sip of his triple. The three friends could sense a bunch of half-thoughts and false starts in one another. For a few beats, none of them said anything, for now. They had a rapport such that none of them felt the need to take over and reassure Noah by his or herself. They gave him a second, and the read was that he could use some active listening. Michelle started. I'm sorry that you feel hurt by comparisons, but you know we're just here to support you and walk with you, help you think about your own questions. Claire added, we're here to hear about wherever you are and whatever you're thinking and feeling. None of us expect you to have it all figured out, and we certainly aren't looking for any fudging that would be dishonest or inauthentic about what's going on. Francis hung back because he wanted to ask a question and knew his friends would say the other things he wanted to say. After the two ladies chimed in, Francis then asked a sparse but incisive question. How's your prayer life? No one knew the answer. His prayer life was, in profound ways, better than it had ever been. The daily grind of hoping to return to those extraordinary places of quiet and listening was yielding inconsistent results, but the moments of clarity he did find were amazing. Noah thought of the structure of his monastic retreat. He thought about the simplicity of imaginative scripture reading. He thought about simple contemplation of an altar prep song from a choir at Mass. He thought about serving humbly at the direction of a faithful food pantry director. And as he looked at the genuine love in his dear friend's faces, he had no doubt that the context of this meal table and these pint glasses of fellowship were in the same vein. He wanted to answer. Noah looked at the surface of the table between the four of them, eyes widened and alive. It's better than it's ever been, really. Noah paused a second to find his new starting point, while the three of them gently shifted from concern for Noah to intrigue for the positive change in his face. In January, I went on an alumni retreat to a Trappist monastery with the monks from my high school. It was pretty sparsely scheduled, and the main thing was just to join in their psalms for the Liturgy of the Hours. Something about the quiet, the cavernous simplicity, the basic rhythm and sparseness of life there, it squared me up to God. We had an evening reflection the first night, and I, man, I don't know how to say it. Do I sound crazy? I heard God, Noah blurted. I think, well, God asked me, what are you doing here? And not in a critical way, but God spoke. Noah thought about stopping to take everyone's temperature on his first disclosure, but instead he just rode the wave of his newfound comfort before inertia could set in. The next morning, I voluntarily got up at 3 a.m. and went to the earliest prayers of the day. After the chants ended, I picked up a Bible, and I encountered Jesus in the scriptures. Jesus asked me what I wanted him to do for me, and I asked him for the grace of clarity, and I've been getting it. At Mass one Sunday, I saw myself as the chairperson of a booming young adult program at the parish. In the van after a food pantry service morning, I saw myself starting a new food pantry at my insular white bread childhood parish. I know that it's prayerful, and I know it's grace of clarity for vocation. It's vivid, it's colorful, it's real, but I don't quite know how to describe it, Noah shared. His stream of consciousness stopped flowing for the moment. He still felt good. Francis was sort of smugly smiling, pleased that his question helped open the can of worms, and pleased even more that Noah's life of prayer was so vibrant. Claire was sort of nodding in awe and disbelief, curious about what this was like. Michelle just went for it. Tell us more, please, she blurted. Noah laughed, grabbed another sip of triple, one last gulp that drained the glass, and then Noah started from scratch. He tried as best as he could to describe these vivid episodes and capture the color and brightness of what was shown to him. 
Noah played auteur for a few minutes, digging and scraping for the best descriptors he could unearth. He talked at length about the bright brown pews and deep brown choir stalls of the monastery, its vaulting cavernous stony ceiling with wood framework, its gray-brown stone floors, its gentle, simple stained glass of clear transparency and understated minimalist design, and most of all the unchanging flicker of the single small red-shelled tabernacle candle at the fore of the church. He described also the stillness of the late night and early morning. He tried to capture both how visually similar the evening dark and morning dark looked, as well as how the spiritual quality of late night and early morning was viscerally different. He sought to celebrate the distinct feel of praying in community with others who rise in this part of the morning every day. Noah described the passive peace he felt about rolling out of bed into slippers and sweats and right over to a pew with a psalter in hand. Noah described the way his vague recollections of Jericho's dusty, tree-dotted land grew into an immersive experience of standing along the ancient roadside. He tried to describe the profundity of knowing against doubt that, amid the crowd, the one man seated was Bartimaeus, and the one man walking at the front of a moving pack was Jesus. Noah recalled the way that the voice he overheard went from sounding like a generic voice, to a familiar voice, to a personal friend. His descriptions fell way short when trying to capture how he turned to find no man standing where the voice should have been, and turned back to be face to face with a man whose face he could not discern but whose identity he knew. He did manage to identify that he felt more nervous thinking about taking his turn at the brew pub table than he felt before the stark question of Christ. He imagined his calm from that encounter being like a moment in which huge amounts of reflection culminated in a perfected decision, maybe like the way someone who discerns a proposal of marriage might feel in finally asking the question of their prospective spouse. Gosh damn, uttered Francis. You really told Jesus straight up one eight-word answer and felt no anxiety during or after? Noah shrugged as if to say, I guess so. Noah continued with his experience at Mass that Sunday night, the drab color of the parish hall modestly coming to life with young adults mingling. He described seeing the roots of a food pantry ministry at his childhood parish, the pristine lawn and carefully marked parking lot blacktop, now interrupted by a second-hand trailer with rickety steps and a floor plan for the poor and the hungry to come onto parish grounds. And he described how he couldn't quite find the secret sauce. It wasn't any particular space or place, any particular prayer formulas or recitations that helped him see and feel these things. All I can figure out is that I've tried to back myself off. I have to find quiet and I have to shift to listening, he tried to explain. It's been hard, if not impossible, to do when I'm by myself. But there's been grace when I'm with faithful people and I follow their lead. So after listening to you guys and then starting to take my turn, I got that same sort of good feeling and let this fly. Have you told anyone else, Michelle asked. Noah shook his head. Not even your parents? Not even Joan? Claire followed. Noah took in a breathy inhale. Not even Joan. I've started to try a few times and she ends up changing the subject or not paying attention, so I bail. Okay, well, that may be one small clue among others you've hinted at there, Claire replied, wondering if he was too casual about his relationship. But what an amazing gift from God. What a confirmation that God is out here always seeking us if we only stop to look or listen for a minute. And I enjoy that you seem grounded about all this. I feel like there'd be a temptation to call these visions or revelations, maybe try to make it out to be something grander. But it seems like you and God are just trying to work out what might be next or what more there may be for you to be doing. 
And maybe you're a little shy or bashful about it, but that seems way better than thinking you're the next great prophet or something, Michelle added. No one nodded along in gratitude. And what do you think, St. Francis, he asked. Francis smiled. I think I'm much less worried about you than I've been for much of the weekend. I mean, I hope you aren't too unsettled about your job or relationship at the moment, but if those things are decent and they're giving you a solid baseline beneath this, then yeah, honor them, be present to them, he started. And then dedicate yourself to the boring daily prayer habits that will keep you primed for these more vivid moments, whenever or however they come. Noah was calm, relaxed. He didn't feel like a weight came off his shoulders because there really wasn't one there to begin with. He did feel like he solved a mystery, like he troubleshot a problem. There had been a dissonance in his heart between the joy he felt at listening to his friends and his inability to share on their level. It turns out he just needed to get himself onto his own honest level and share it with authenticity. Now he figured that out, the solution seemed silly and obvious, but it took the unfolding progression of the evening for him to get there. The old friends ordered a third round, now into the fourth hour of hanging together, and gently descended from the altitudes of year-in-review chat to a fraternal but less intense dynamic. They did some forum rounds on the extent to which they'd ever thought about religious life, their trials and tribulations in the dating scene, their hopes for marriage and family, and their political takes. The waitress caught them in a more stable mood to deliver the check. As Francis plopped on his card and his friends added up amounts to send him on Venmo, they agreed to get up early enough for a little coffee and breakfast. Noah had planned to get them at 10 and bring them all to the airport for various early afternoon departures, but they slid that back to 8.30 to allow themselves one last hurrah together. Francis signed the final copy and on they went on their way from Vider. Francis had walked, so he walked them to their car to say goodbye before heading home on his own. He gave Michelle a big hug and then the same for Claire. As the two ladies hopped in the back seat, Francis put a strong hand on Noah's shoulder and then slid into a hug. You sure you don't want to ride, he asked Noah. Yeah, I'm sure. It's just a few blocks, Noah reassured him. The walk will be a nice way to marinate in it. Noah smirked as Francis released Noah from the hug. Well, you've been told, mortal, what is good, huh? Francis had a knack for these cheesy yet authentic moments. Noah was already walking away as Francis barked out familiar words at him. Act with justice. Love tenderly. Noah cut in flatly with his back to Francis as he shook his head. And walk humbly with God. See ya, Francis called as he shut his car door. Noah spun and backpedaled for a few steps to watch safely as they pulled away. Then he turned to head down the road. So there's plenty of places in these stories I've written where stories from my personal life reappear in the stories of Noah and Teresa and the characters in these books, not least of which in chapter five here of this story. My best friends from college and I all got married within a short time of each other over a course of about 12 months, and three of the weddings were in a course of about seven weeks. And what we realized when we were hanging out at these weddings, partying together as part of each other's bridal parties, was that after all of the weddings were celebrated, it would be kind of a letdown because we wouldn't have anything set on the near horizon where all of us would be together again. So we sort of resolved as a group that we all needed to get together regularly and keep this up, even though we had no more weddings to celebrate, because we realized how much fun we had when we were able to get together again and really spend quality, quantity time with each other. 
um, not just in these special occasions, but hopefully in future more mundane circumstances too. So I had made an offhand comment at one of the weddings that these weddings were like best friends summits where all of our best friends were brought together for the purpose of just hanging out again. And that kind of became the name of this trip. So every year, me and a few of my best friends um, all get together, usually at the home of one of my friends or one of my friend's parents. And we just spend three or four days together. We don't necessarily plan a ton of stuff because we've learned over the years that we basically just want to be. And one of the things we realized at one of the earlier gatherings was that not only did we want to just be together, but that we all really needed an intentional space where we could bring some of our greatest joys and some of our hardest struggles from the past few months or year and have a chance to share them honestly with each other. And I don't think it was because any of us were at a deficit for that outlet in our everyday lives where we lived with our friends and family nearby, but it was that we really valued the chance to come together and share it with each other specifically. So it all kind of started when we were out to dinner one night at a brewery in Portland, enjoying some food and beers. And we sort of stumbled into this particularly vulnerable, intimate conversation while we were all gathered in public drinking at a Portland brew pub. And it got to the point where we were all kind of choking back tears or openly crying as we listened to each other. And the waitress, as she came to the table to check on us for maybe another round of beers, actually kind of checked on us to make sure we were okay. And we had to reassure her that, yeah, we're totally fine. We're just enjoying some time together. Um, And that's what you sort of see here as Noah gets together with his friends from his post-grad service year. The other thing that's kind of fun to sneak into this chapter is um, the idea of of feeling at peace or feeling um, total confidence or wholeness as you're asked a question and provide an answer or as you take a a difficult or challenging or vulnerable action. Um, And it goes back to another thing from my life. Back when I was in college, I got to go visit my friend Anna, also in Oregon, and her and her dad took me camping up to southern Washington. And when we were hanging out around the campfire that night, we were talking about um, salvation and heaven and her dad being a wise old Catholic high school campus minister made a comment that your salvation is the sum of your free will perfected into one final decision in which you accept or reject God, whether you accept or reject Christ in that final moment of judgment. And I thought it was kind of beautiful to think that It's not necessarily something new, but it's not necessarily something old. It's all that you are and have ever been put together into that moment. And so I tried to capture that a little bit in the way that Noah is approaching this moment with his friends. But it's also informed by kind of a real life microcosm of that. And that's when I proposed to my wife, Catherine. I had planned out this elaborate scenario that I won't go into full detail on now, but when we reached the point on our walk where I knew I was going to take a ring out of my pocket and make this short speech to her and ask her this great question, I was absolutely and completely unnervous. I can think of a lot of other times in my life where my heart started to beat really fast, where my mouth got really dry, where my hands started to shake. And in this moment, when I asked one of the most important questions in my life to one of the most important people I'll ever know and love in my life, the most important person I'll ever know and love in my life, I was completely not nervous. 
And I think it's kind of the same vein. I knew based on all that we had done together, all we had talked about together, everything we had been thinking about and talking about to that point, that this was the right decision, that she is, was, and will be the person that I want to spend the rest of my life with. And for whatever reasons, all that put together in that moment was completely anxiety-free, nervousness-free, and peaceful. And it's one of the more poised and calm things that I've ever done in my life, really. And to look back on that and think of it in those terms, it makes perfect sense and I think reflects the way that I've felt as we have moved through these first seven years of marriage. So it's one of the things that I think Noah seeks in his life, but maybe doesn't fully realize yet that he wants and needs and doesn't necessarily know how to get there. But I think he's starting to see in moments of of prayer when he follows benevolent, humble guidance and tries to go where God is willing him to go. When he surrenders his will to that and finds an alignment and peace in that direction, that's when he starts to discover those fuller, purer things. And Francis and Claire and Michelle get to provide him a little bit of that as he moves in that direction in his way. That's all for this episode. Remember, all the links for this book and my other writing is at my link tree, linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. Thanks for listening, and I hope your gifts and passions are meeting the needs of the people and world around you. Instrumentals for this podcast were improvised and performed by Jason Pham.